From Schwartz Media, I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. Outbreaks of COVID-19 are continuing to spread across the country, hitting largely unvaccinated and unprepared populations. Areas like the Northern Territory, the ACT and regional New South Wales, which have largely managed to avoid the pandemic, are now in lockdown. Meanwhile, Melbourne's lockdown is set to be one of the longest in the world, and in New South Wales, cases continue to spiral. 18 months into the pandemic, many Australians are feeling exhausted, and compliance with public health measures is dropping off, leading governments to ramp up policing efforts. Today, infectious disease and pandemic response expert Dr Alexandra Phelan on the situation in Australia, how governments can maintain public trust and what the end game looks like. It's Thursday, August 19. Alexandra, could you start by telling me a bit about your work and and what you do? Yeah, so I work for the Centre for Global Health Science and Security at Georgetown University. We help governments prepare and respond to outbreaks and epidemics and pandemics. I do sort of public health, uh, looking at public health measures, their efficacy, uh, and the way laws and policies can affect public health, particularly in, in outbreaks or pandemics. And I was in New York when the first cases were reported out of China on 31 December. And essentially from 31 December until June, uh, I worked every single day. And I think for most of the pandemic, Australians have looked at the rest of the world, including the US where you live, with this sense of real horror and, and dread. So what has it been like for you watching Australia as we avoided the kinds of mass deaths that were seen elsewhere? There's been a huge relief, obviously, until recently, that Australia has managed to avoid the large-scale epidemics that, that have been experienced overseas. And the numbers continue to rise as 10 hospital trusts across England reported a lack of capacity in intensive care. Well, now to that staggering and tragic milestone in the history of our country. Over 500,000 American lives lost to COVID-19. But at the same time, with that relief, there was a real, I I definitely had a real concern of the potential impacts that that could have on um, potentially government complacency or on, uh, you know, how that would affect uh, access to vaccines or how the vaccine rollout might go. The reality of what we're seeing now in uh, particularly New South Wales, but obviously in other, other states, but the sort of delayed government response. It's like seeing what we were seeing in February and March last year in the US, obviously not at the the scale, but at that sort of underestimating how quickly you need to act. Mm. And I think one thing that feels quite jarring right now in Australia is that so much of the country is in lockdown at the same time that the rest of the world is reopening. We've got regional New South Wales and the ACT in their first lockdowns since March last year. Melbourne is on track to be one of the cities with the longest lockdowns in the entire world. And as necessary as this might be to limit case numbers, do you think that there is a risk of exhaustion among the community? The word lockdown is used to mean many different things. And what level of stringency of public health measures are in place has varied significantly despite the use of the term, say, lockdown still being in place. And so when I I look at things like lockdowns, you know, these are 
if applied correctly and if applied appropriately and if they're the least restrictive measures necessary to achieve the public health outcome, they are our primary tool in the absence of population immunity through vaccination. The reason why we care about this least restrictive means necessary, you know, it is language that comes from you know, human rights law, but why public health cares about it is because public health requires public trust. And one of the first things you can just so easily lose is public trust in an epidemic response. When the public is concerned that uh, the governments are not being transparent with them or that governments aren't communicating the rationale for the measures that are being posed, or if the government is using a highly coercive part of the system, such as as the use of police, uh, you actually erode that trust. And that's particularly the case in populations that are already subjected to systemic injustice and racism. A lot of the time, what we see in outbreaks is that when police are heavily involved in, in fining people for breaching public health measures, you actually encourage people to act to hide that uh, even more so. People who have very legitimate reasons to be going out essential workers but may feel unfairly targeted or may not feel confident that they're going to be given that, that exemption may also seek to avoid police. You lose a really critical opportunity to provide people with public health information and to help them engage in safer behaviours and, and that sort of risk reduction process. You know, there's a real concern for me when I look at, say, as, um, you know, the New South Wales and Victorian responses and the use of police that particularly in already vulnerable populations, there is a risk of actually having community transmission occurring in a way that is actually more more at risk from using police. The use of police in Australia, particularly in New South Wales and Victoria, has been a pretty strong element of our pandemic response. The New South Wales Police Force will launch Operation Stay at Home Sunday at midnight. Just recently, we've seen governments in both of those states introduce more severe restrictions and and punitive fines. The fines are some of the biggest fines that I've ever seen and we will be issuing them. They've even admitted that that some of those restrictions, they aren't necessarily based on public health recommendations. Some of the strongest laws, some of the strongest police action coming. I'm not apologetic. Please don't write and complain to me. They're in place because police were pushing for them. So Why do you think Australia has gone down this track? You know, I think it can be incredibly tempting to use police when things look like they're getting out of control if cases are increasing. It feels like you need to be using a more stringent approach when that actually may not be what's required. You know, Australians are incredibly law-abiding. We're incredibly uh, rules-following. And I think there's a temptation to feel that that will provide control and address the issue. And the reality is, is from a public health perspective, it can be incredibly counterproductive. I think it can be very tempting to feel that the the solution is to create more and more strictures and control around the situation uh, when what we know works is supportive approaches. We know that all of these sorts of supportive measures are conducive with public health um, rather than constraining measures which can uh, undermine public health and drive transmission underground. We'll be back in a moment. The Every Moment Matters campaign provides accurate, evidence-based information and advice about alcohol, pregnancy and breastfeeding. It has been created by the Foundation for Alcohol Research and Education and endorsed and funded by the Australian Government. 
Alcohol use during pregnancy can lead to fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, or FASD, a lifelong disability. So make the moment you start trying the moment to stop drinking. Visit everymomentmatters.org.au to find out more. For Sloane Crosley, writing about the loss of a friend may not have provided catharsis, but it did allow for the possibility of a better ending. Like you have this amazing meal that's this friendship and you have a really, 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 really bad dessert with shards of glass in it. And then like the book is like, you know, those little chunks of chocolate that come with the bill. I'm Michael Williams. Join me for this week's episode of Read This as I talk to Sloane Crosley about her latest Grief is for People. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Alexandra, I think a lot of people in Australia want to know what the answer is, how we get out of this situation, what the pathway is. I know that that's a hard question, but what are the things that you think we should be focusing on right now that we aren't at the moment? I think there were some good initiatives early on uh, in in the pandemic and and initiatives with some other countries, those sort of support payments that uh, ensure that people are able to stay at home, that uh, ensures that essential workers have the flexibility to isolate or quarantine or isolate if required. You know, these are just really fundamental, very basic things that should should be addressed and should be really, really centred in the response. Curfews and measures that, you know, require that sort of force people inside earlier actually sort of go against the sort of steps that we say that we need to be doing. If someone can go, you know, walk their dog at at 10 p.m. at night and they get some fresh air and they get outside and they're not in close contact with anyone and maybe even if they're wearing a mask, depending on the, the scope of the measures... Um, that is incredibly low-risk activity uh, in comparison to having everyone suddenly inside and increasing, say, you know, family or household transmission whilst reducing community transmission. So there's a lot of thought that can go into the nuance of these measures and to make them much less restrictive whilst also centering public health and protecting the public's health. Mm. I think what is frustrating for so many Australians right now is that it did feel like we had managed to avoid much of the pandemic's impacts by isolating ourselves and implementing things like the the strict border closures that we have. But it's now very hard to see an endpoint because the Delta variant doesn't seem like it's going away. And earlier this week, we covered the fact that New South Wales has now essentially abandoned this COVID zero goal. So what do you think is the endpoint here for us? You know, this is a really, really tough question. And I think with the scale of, of transmission that is occurring overseas, the, the fact that in many places the general consensus is we're going to have some form of endemicity because of the amount of transmission, which means that it becomes potentially a, a seasonal virus. You know, we still have a, a lot to learn about this virus, but that looks like it could be a, a potential pathway. There has to be better communication to the Australian public, particularly from the federal government as the sort of, you know, national government on this, about what are not just the timelines but what are the outcomes of those timelines, you know, obviously subject to change with any future variants, but what can our hospitals cope with? What sort of level of transmission is going to happen? You know, I think COVID zero and elimination approaches will require Australia disconnecting itself from the international community, you know, for a lot longer period of time and really thinking about whether that's actually going to be achievable if we see new variants emerge or we see, you know, vaccine efficacy wane over time. Um, so I think that's, you know, really important to put up front that, you know, even with the challenge of Delta, vaccination is still just so critical. And there is no doubt 
that Delta has changed everything, Alexandra. It's the reason that we are back in lockdown again in Australia. And we spoke at the start of this interview about the sense of kind of creeping exhaustion that the community feels as a result of going in and out of lockdowns in the way that we have. So far, the response from governments to that exhaustion has been to implement harsher rules and larger fines and more police. I just wonder how viable you think that approach is in the long term, because it does seem like we're in this for the long haul. You know, I think lockdowns are incredibly, incredibly tough. I very much empathise with the experience. It is incredibly isolating, incredibly lonely. It is a long, has been a long haul overseas and, you know, it looks like there may be a bit of a longer haul in Australia. So I, I think this is where this least restrictive measure angle is just so critical, is um, it's about how do we protect public health across the board It's not just simply from COVID-19. It is also mental health. It is also physical health. It is ensuring that people have access to to healthcare and it's not just the impact of of COVID-19, the impact of a pandemic on the specific virus, but also the other aspects of healthcare that are all impacted. So it is a, a multifaceted and complex dynamic that I think really little things in the way lockdown measures are imposed um, is is going to be critical. Having high policing or high stigma driven lockdown measures is incredibly stressful. People are less willing potentially to go out for those walks, those daily walks and get that movement, which for a range of reasons is, is going to be critical, you know, particularly if lockdowns extend for, for weeks or months. And so, you know, I think this is where things like curfews are, are less about necessarily public health than really they could be. You know, having sensible measures that allow people to get outside to see people at a distance where appropriate, masks to be able to go get, um, you know, go to the grocery store, to be able to go for their walks, to be able to exercise. I think all of those things are going to be really critical. You know, it is, it is a marathon. And it, it's not a dichotomy. There is, there is nuance, but there are ways to approach public health that engenders trust builds community support and actually that is the faster way out of out of this, uh, this epidemic and that includes within the broader international community as well. That complexity can be really difficult but that's really where leaders, our leaders are so important to be able to communicate that complexity in a way that is accessible and appropriate for the community and you know I, I think that's really going, it has to be the path going forward is, um, is you know, real leadership. Um, and clarity for the public to understand whilst also ensuring that public health and the broad definition of public health is appropriately protected. Alexandra, thank you so much for talking to me about all of this. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. Sydney Dance Company explodes on stage with Momenta. This world premiere by acclaimed choreographer Raphael Bonicella is unmissable contemporary dance. Strictly limited season from the 28th of May to the 8th of June. Book now at sydneydancecompany.com. Also in the news today, the first Australian flight evacuating citizens and local support staff from Afghanistan has landed in the United Arab Emirates 
after collecting 26 people from Kabul on Wednesday. The government says it plans to evacuate around 600 people, including Australians and local Afghans who worked for Australian forces from the country. And New South Wales authorities reported 633 new locally acquired cases of COVID-19 and three new deaths on Wednesday. At least 62 were infectious in the community. Premier Gladys Berejiklian warned the state still hasn't seen the worst of it yet. I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. See you tomorrow.